If you have a copy of God's Word with you, turn with me to the book of Jonah. We are in a series that I've entitled A Man on a Mission, and we have seen this mission of Jonah. Chapter 1, we saw the mission was disobedience. Chapter 2, we saw the mission as surrender, forgiveness, repentance. Chapter 3, last week, we looked at it was God's mission and and the part that Jonah played and the response of the people in Nineveh. And today, we see Jonah, a man on a mission. And his mission today is something that is very scary. His mission today is that he is opposing God. Read with me. I'm going to read chapter 3 and chapter 4. And uh, we'll use our time this morning to finish out the book in chapter 4. But I want to uh, get us all up to speed, so to speak. So I will read chapter 3 and chapter 4. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I will tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. The word reached the king of Nineveh and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth and sat in ashes. He issued issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth. And let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from His fierce anger so that we may not perish. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that He had said He would do to them. And He did not do it. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly. And he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, Oh Lord, is not this what I said when when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew, I knew that you were a gracious God, merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it's better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? Jonah went out of the city and sat at the east of the city and made a booth for himself there, and he sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. 
Now the Lord appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind and the sun beat on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, It is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, Do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, Yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, You pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city, in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle. Heavenly Father, as... We turn our attention to chapter 4 and we see, Lord, opposition from, from your man, from your prophet, your spokesman, Father, your follower. Would you speak into our hearts? Father, would you speak to me this morning as I stand and proclaim this word? God, I need to hear from you. Lord, I need to hear from you on this subject, as I believe all of us do. God, draw us closer. May we see the same type of thing that's in our lives, that's in Jonah's. And might we be like those in Nineveh and repent and come back to you. God, use me this morning, I pray. Speak to us. Draw all of us closer to you as your word is being proclaimed. I ask it in Christ's name. Amen. A man on a mission opposing God. Three keys as I look at this passage for us speaking of opposing God. The first is this, opposing God brings about angst and disgust. Opposing God brings about angst and disgust. Jonah, when he opposed God, he was mad, he was fit to be tied, he was ready to die. He was so upset at God. And he even says it in the end. That's why I went to Tarshish. I knew you wouldn't do it. I knew that you were slow to anger. I knew that you were merciful. I knew that you were gracious. I knew that you relented from disaster. Disaster. I knew that you were going to do this. That's why I ran. Because I knew you weren't going to do this judgment. If the people turned to me. When I wrote that sentence, opposing God brings about angst and disgust. Two things jumped into my mind. 
the first is how this comes about in the Christian. How this comes about in the Christ follower. How this comes about in the one who's bowed the knee, who has said, I believe in Christ. I've surrendered my life to Christ. I want to do what he wants me to do. I will follow him wherever he goes. How that comes about when somebody opposes God in that vein, when they are a Christian, and then what happens to the person who's not a Christian? So let's talk first of what occurs when you oppose God, when I oppose God, and we are Christians. I would not be naive to believe that every single person that's looking at me, every single person that's listening to me right now is a Christian. But I would say that the majority in this place probably are. So, I'm talking to you. All right? I'm talking to myself. Some of the angriest people I have ever met Some of the angriest people that I've ever been associated with have been members of a Baptist church that I was pastoring, that I was on staff at, that I was a member of, who for whatever reason found themselves like Jonah. They didn't get their way They were rotting in the pew. They were stinking up the seat. And they were letting everybody know about it. It's kind of like that two-year-old, maybe it's a grandchild, or maybe it's a a child, the two- or three-year-old who's got a dirty diaper, and they are so upset. They don't want you to change it because it's theirs. Some of that's real close home to you. I'm grateful at the moment that uh, we don't have one of those at our house. But they have not gotten their way. Jonah didn't get his way. And he was letting God know about it. Anybody that was close, any bug that was close, anything that was close was hearing him in his angst, in his disgust with God. Because God was not bringing judgment. I mean, get in Jonah's mind for just a second. How how terrible a person is it that proclaims there is judgment coming down on 120,000 at least, 120,000 people, and then he just goes outside the city, sets up a tent and says, I'm going to wait and I'm going to watch. I want to see the fire from heaven come down and destroy. How hideous is that person? To call someone, to call oneself a Christ follower, a Christian, and then to oppose him at every turn, To point to the point that you will not follow him is a shame. It's not only a shame, 
It's dangerous. It's not only a shame and danger, it's just plain sad. You have stated, I have stated with our lives that we will follow you, Christ. Whatever you want, whatever you're going to take us through, I know that you're with me. I know that you're going to walk through it with me. And then to oppose that. You need to know this, church. I am... I'm not a prophet, I'm not the son of a prophet, but please know this. If this is you, if this is where you are in your life right now, your life is in trouble. You're on some thin ice. You're in danger as Jesus spoke to those in John chapter 15, you are in danger of being cut off from the vine and thrown in the fire. We'll leave the uh, Christians alone for just a second and let's talk about what this means for the non christian For the non-Christian, it's a little different. You need to understand this. If you have not professed Christ today, if you know a family member that has not professed Christ, a co-worker, a friend, a neighbor, for the person who has not professed Christ, they are in opposition to God every breath that they take. They're an enemy against God right now. Romans chapter Uh, 5 states this, but God demonstrated his love while we were yet sinners, while we were yet enemies against God, while we were in opposition with him, he loved us. So for those who don't know Christ, every single waking moment, every moment of their life up to that point, they are in opposition with God. And they have a different master. Their master ultimately is God, yes, but their master is Satan. He is the ruler of this world. God has given him, given him that authority for this time being. You remember what Jesus said to the folks, the Pharisees and the scribes. He said, you are of your father, the devil. These people are under bondage. They're under the shackles and the chains of Satan. And for some, for some, there is a lifting up by Satan who who gives them prestige and power and fame and, and money. For some, this bondage comes in a different tent. It is hurt, drugs, alcohol, addiction, for others, it's, it's a different tent of that. It is isolation. I remember as a 14 or 15-year-old, a uh, interim youth minister that I had at the time had a study one night, and he just wanted all of us to know, hey, guys, hey, gals, sin is fun. And a lot of us just cut him off right there. We're like, sin's fun. All right, well, let's go. But he finished off the sentence. Sin is fun 
for a season. Satan tempts kind of like a, a billboard. A, a billboard for cigarettes. There's either a pretty lady on there, there's a fast car, there's this aspect of coolness that is there, and that's how Satan tempts. He, he shows a portion of the picture, and it is all fun and games. It is great, but down there these days, if you look at the billboard, down there at the bottom, they have to show the fine print. And going 65 miles an hour, if you're on the interstate, under the speed limit, just to let you know. As you go by one of those billboards, you can't see the fine print. The fine print is how ugly, how ugly it is. And it is ugly. It is real ugly. Sin is portrayed for you and for me. Sin is portrayed even to those that don't know Christ as something that is glorious and fun and cool. Yet, it is not. For the non-Christian, if that person comes to the end of their day, if they come to the end of their life, whether it's at 42 or 92, whether young or old, and they come to the end of their life, and they are still in opposition with God, you and I need to remember they will spend eternity, eternity away from you. That punishment, that judgment is real. That judgment is huge. We see just a segment or a section of their life and we say, man, I want to be like that. I want to go there. I want to do that. We don't. Don't find yourself like those workers, River Bend. You know, the workers that Christ spoke of. He told a parable about a man going to the street and finding workers to go get in the field. They, they went at daybreak, and he said, hey, will you work for a denarii, which is a day's wage? And they said, yeah, we'll do that. He went back to the, to the square, so to speak, and there were more people at 9 o'clock, and he said, hey, go get in the field. Will you work for a denarii? Yeah, I'll work for a denarii. He went back at noon. He went back an hour before getting off time, quitting time. He said, will you work for... Go get in the field. At the end of the day, when they were paying their wages, when they were getting paid their wages, those that went first to the field were last in line. And they saw that, man, those people that just were out here an hour, they got paid a denarii. I know that we're going to get paid more. And they came and they got paid a denarii. And they were upset. Don't, don't be like that, spiritually speaking. First Peter chapter 4, verse 3 states this, For the time that is past suffices. The time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do. 
living in sensuality, living with passions, with drunkenness, with orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. That time has passed. That sufficed. Whether it was 40 years, 8 years, 72 years, that time has sufficed. Do not go back there. Don't be resentful about those who have lived a life full of sin, full of pleasure, full of power, and that they've come to Christ late. That's sin. And that's wrong. Opposing God brings about angst and disgust, but opposing God also disorients one's perspective. This is the end of Jonah. We we don't get to... To have an interview with Jonah, I'd like to have an interview with Jonah. I'd like to know, how, how big was that plant? Was it, was it really cool? Was the shade really cool? How bad were the Ninevites? He is opposing God, and as he is opposing God, his spiritual wisdom, spiritual understanding, spiritual discernment, that button has been clicked off. And he is just walking around like like a crazy man. Worried more about a little plant. Having more concern about a plant than a person. More concern about one plant over 120,000 plus people. He was so pleased with this plant that brought him shade. He was so upset when a little worm ate it. But he had no care whatsoever for those at Nineveh. How many times have you, how many times have I, we're at at the job site, we're at the house. We find ourselves like Jonah, you know, just sitting back and watching, waiting for somebody to just mess up. And you could have said, you know what, I told you so. I I, I knew you were going to do it, but we don't stop it. How many times have we done that with a co-worker? You've just stepped aside in such a way and wanted to see them burn. You know, every week... Uh, every Thursday morning, uh, Wade Humphreys, the pastor at Longview Point, comes into the office here and uh, we have accountability. And uh, I always know that he's going to ask question number seven. Just to let you know, that's not the hardest one that I have to answer. There's ten of them and that's not the hardest one for me to answer. But I know that it's coming because it's in between six and eight. So I know seven is coming and seven it goes something like this. Have you secretly wished for another's failure that you might excel? Have you secretly wished for another, another person, a co-worker, a friend? Have you secretly wished, Brian, for another person's failure that you might jump on it and excel? That's 
that's sin. There were times that you, times that I, were mad that that judgment, that that co-worker, family member, whoever, friend, that it should have come on them and it didn't, and you and I just got mad. That's not even to, to bring up the huge amount of Jonah's angst that the people were just, they were Ninevites. And, and the race that they were, they weren't Jews. The Jews were the best and the rest were just terrible. How wrong Jonah was. On the screen you'll see uh, Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. Just to give you a setting of where it is. It's Abraham before he was the father of Isaac, before there was Jacob, before there were 12 tribes, before there was anybody. It was just Abram and his wife Sarah. And God says this to Abram when he is an idolater, when he is not even a God-fearer, he says this, go from your country, your kindred, your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I, God, will make of you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. And key in on verse 3. I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. God so loved the world. God so loved the world, River Bend. God didn't so love one race. God didn't so love one color. God didn't so love one sex. God loved the world. Male, female, all of it that He gave. And you and I have got to understand, we have got to come to the point that we realize that His kingdom, God's kingdom, in it there is no place for you and me to be like Jonah. There's no place in God's kingdom, in His church, where we should turn a blind eye to racism. Church, you and I should love, and we should love, and we should love no matter the color, no matter the financial status, no matter the smell, no matter the lifestyle, we should love. We should love. We should love the person, hate the sin, but love the person, and love in such a way that they see the difference in that. Purple people are no better than blue people. Whites are no better than black, pink, yellow, or paisley. We are all gods. Jesus stated it this way in John chapter 13. A new commandment I give to you. To you. To me. That you love one another. Just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people 
those who believe in me and don't believe in me. All people will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Shame on Brian Tillman. Shame on you if we don't love. He loved me as a wretched, sinful, rude, selfish, cruel, stinky person. And he tells you and he tells me to love as well. Third point is this. As long as there is breath, there's an opportunity for those opposing God to come to him. Look at the end of this passage. But God said to Jonah in verse number 8, Do you do well to be angry for the plant? He said, Yes, I do well to be angry. Angry enough to die. And the Lord said, You pity the plant for which you didn't labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city, in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle. Those are the last words that we know about Jonah. It's the last that we hear of him. Doesn't say that he died. Doesn't say that he lived 50 more years and then he died. It just ends. And I kind of like it that it ends that way. You can put an end to it. You can. He's just right there feeling the scorched wind from the east. The shade is gone. And God is speaking and then there's silence. Maybe you can put yourself there. God does not give up. Remember, he is long-suffering with all of us. Jonah has reminded us that. He knew that. We don't know if he saw the error of his thoughts or his ways or if he just stayed there. As long as that person is standing that is opposed to God, there's an opportunity for them to come to Christ. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus, no matter the age that you find yourself, as long as you are standing up, inhaling and exhaling, there's time for you to come to Christ. For those of us that have followed Christ and we find ourselves opposing Him, we find ourselves like Jonah was, as long as we have breath, we can come back. There is hope as long as it is day. Sure, night is coming. Christ states that. Night is coming. A time when a person breathes his last. A time when ultimately the judgment comes. But as long as there's breath, there's hope. You and I can no longer stand behind statements like, that's just how I was reared. That's just how I was raised. For those of us who know Christ, there's a new nature in us. It's not just 
Joetta and Charlie Tillman who created Brian and I have their nature because it's passed down from my father Adam. It's now Christ in me. And so there's a new nature. I can't say, well, that's just how Joetta and Charlie raised me. Tillman speed, so I speed. No, I know the law. We can no longer think that we're better than others who have eyes, ears, arms, legs, red blood cells, souls that were created just like we were created in the image of Almighty God. Why don't we come back to Him today? Why don't we put away our thoughts of pride, our thoughts of us being better, and say the same thing that God says, Jonah, Jonah, there's 120,000 people that don't know between their right hand and their left. There's 120 million people. There's 7 billion people that I love. Why don't you love them like I love them? Heavenly Father, I bow before you. Father, I ask that as um, we have an opportunity to just think for a moment of how much you loved us. See the example of, of your love that you displayed toward me while I hated you, while I was opposing you. That's the same amount of love that you have for those that are opposing now, that those that will oppose. But it's also the same amount of love, totality of love, that you have for me even now as a son, that even in my sin, that you want me to come back to you. You want us to come back to you. God, would you show us that? Would we feel that? Would we know that, experience that? God, it's not an easy message. Jonah is not an easy message. But Father, it's your message. Father, would you take our hearts that are so easy to, to throw up walls, so easy to become hard. Would you make them soft and pliable, moldable? Even now, draw us to yourself. This invitation is for every single one of us. Those that don't know Jesus, would you come? He loves you. He has given His life for you. For those of us that know Him, come back to Him. We're going to stand and we're going to sing. The altar is open. You come and pray at the altar. Come and pray with me. Above anything else, please just obey that we would not be like Jonas. Let's stand and let's sing.